You're listening to The Green Country, a fantasy storytelling podcast where each episode introduces a new character, creature, or facet of this fantastical land. These stories follow the course of Queen Alyssa's centennial tour of her kingdom. Every 100 years, the long-lived monarch travels throughout her overgrown forest realm, meeting its inhabitants and seeing its sights. Join me each week as we explore a new and fascinating aspect of this lush, expansive world. You can learn more at www.thegreen.country, and I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks for listening. Ness and the Deep Keep of the Krellian Part 1 It was late afternoon when Queen Alyssa approached the entrance to the Hook and Lantern. The heavy wooden door to the ancient pub had been kicked open by many a muddy boot. The wearers of such footwear were more often than not fatigued by some remarkable or perilous exploit when they finally trudged through the entrance. Her slim, unspoiled fingers gripped a wooden handle, worn shiny with use, and she slung the door open, suppressing a grunt. She had donned a tattered cloak before venturing out through the streets of Cosimo, the largest face-sylph city in all of the green country. Her advisor, Durkey, had insisted on adding several more holes to her costume with a penknife before she left. He tended to worry unnecessarily, but she appreciated the gesture. In her mildly cunning disguise, she drew little attention when she stepped into the watering hole so popular with those face-elf who considered themselves pirates, fortune-seekers, and scavengers. Of course, such folk never stooped to using those coarse terms to describe their exploits. No, to do so wouldn't do justice to the romance and grand scope of their deeds. Instead, the assortment of rough-and-tumble folk who frequented the Hook and Lantern referred to themselves as simply adventuresque. Alyssa had come to this unlikely establishment not for the braided pretzel twists for which they were so acclaimed. She was here to meet someone, and upon entering, quickly spotted them, seated on the lower level at a scarred wooden table next to a tall, sun-filled window. Ness wasn't hard to find, the face-elf woman reclined in her chair, her red leather boots resting on the tabletop. Her skin was a light aquamarine color, and horns protruded from her head, sharpening to two reddened points. A large wooden flagon of something rested on her naked midriff, and her eyes were half-closed in what appeared to be a blissful catnap. Elissa made her way through the tables and folk of the hook and lantern and down a short flight of steps to the table where Ness sat. She pulled back the chair across from Ness and took a seat, observing the strange young woman, who hadn't so much as stirred. No sooner had she taken her seat than a stout barman approached, a large platter in hand, bearing an assortment of steaming, pretzeled bread. He set the tray on the table and nodded to Alyssa, ready for her order. Meadowsweet ale for me, and another drink for my friend here. At this, the face-elf woman's eyes opened, and she regarded the queen with a surprised smile. Oh, hello, Alyssa. It's great to see you. The same to you, Ness. How have you been? Ness had ripped off a chunk of pretzel and stuffed it into her mouth after submerging it in a little pot of mustard that sat on the tray. 
She nodded enthusiastically at Alyssa, chewing all the while, and then attempted to speak, but found this impossible, given the quantity of dough in her mouth. She gazed hopefully into the flagon that rested on her belly, but found it empty. Luckily, their waiter then approached with two tankards on a tray, full to the brim with ale. She snatched one of these before he could place them down on the table, and took a long draft. He paid her little mind, and set the other tankard down before Alyssa, and then turned to go. Ness swallowed audibly and let out a contented sigh. Life is good. What about you? How's the kingdom holding up? Alyssa smiled at this. There was an innocent naivete about Ness that she found refreshing. Yes, the mercurial face sylph was somewhat unpredictable and easily distracted, but she always spoke without pretense. She also happened to be one of the greatest treasure hunters in all the green country. The Lord's tour is proceeding smoothly, no upsets or surprises to speak of. Ness narrowed her eyes at this. Well, that doesn't sound very interesting. Alyssa laughed. Not all of us crave the lifestyle of action and adventure which you so enjoy. Ness nodded resignedly. Yes, I'll never understand you, Lot. Alyssa took a sip of her meadow-sweet ale and savored the floral brightness as it bloomed across her tongue. Boast as they might, the Faisal were damn good brewers. She would have to order a cask of this ale to be sent to Tashmir Hall. Alyssa leaned forward, her bearing growing more serious and surreptitious. So tell me, Ness, did you find it? Were you successful? Ness sat silently for a moment, a wide grin slowly spreading from cheek to cheek. Of course I did. Alyssa's eyes widened in disbelief. No! The queen looked up across the tavern and called out to the barman. Another round, and keep them coming. Ness leaned forward in her chair, returning her booted feet to the wide floor. She placed another hefty chunk of pretzel to her mouth and spoke in a doughy whisper. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. A young Cluricon courier had delivered the letter to Ness many months prior. The little fellow had knocked on her door one afternoon. He handed her the envelope, stating simply, From Her Majesty, the Queen. She took the letter, confused as to what it contained and who this queen might be. The courier then hopped atop some strange, wheeled, mechanical contrivance, and it soon disappeared down the lane, seeming to power its locomotion with the pumping of his little legs. In the privacy of her flat, Ness broke the emerald green wax that sealed the letter and scanned its contents. Immediately, several words stood out to her on the page. The Keep of the Krellian. Her imagination was set ablaze. This was a place of legend, of bedtime stories, told to children across the green country. The Krellian were an arcane clan of Faisilf, who, in the deepest past, had worked great sorceries to bond their soul's very essence with gold. Rustless, ever-bright, and everlasting, so too did the Krellian become, and so it was said that they dwelled immortal in a keep deep within the halls of the earth. Ness unfurled the remainder of the letter with a trembling hand, and felt her heart quicken as she perceived the tracings of a map there. She sent off a reply to Alyssa the very next day, and had soon gathered the things she required for the expedition. Previous ventures had found her traveling with other Faisilf, in groups both large and small, 
but this time she knew she could only bring with her those who she trusted completely. It could only be Darshal and Narshal, a pair of twins she had known since her hatching. They had rendezvoused at the Hook and Lantern, the twins leaning in closely at the table where they sat. The conspiratorial air of their conversation was atypical for Ness, and they knew that something important was at stake. Narshall pushed the circular glasses up on the bridge of his nose ponderously as he surveyed the map that Ness had produced. Of course, he murmured. This area of the Great Weald is a complete tangle of fault lines. Some pierce the earth so deeply as to be called bottomless. He looked up from the map impressed. Very dangerous lands, these. Darshall clapped an arm around his shoulder and pulled him close. Sounds like just the place for us, dear brother. Ness's eyes sparkled with excitement in the candlelight of the tavern. She regarded the two friends who sat across from her with certain happiness. The pair of lilac-skinned facelf couldn't be more different from one another. Bespectacled Narshal was bookish, restrained, and stoic, whereas Darshal was boisterous, athletic, and commanding. Narshal pushed a tousle of unruly, chalk-white hair away from his face as he leaned closer to examine the map. Darshal leaned back in her chair, tattooed bare arms behind her head, watching her brother with amusement. Yes, thought Ness. They're perfect for the job. They departed Kazimo the next morning, catching a ride out of town with a delivery driver carrying a wagon load of barrels to a winery at the edge of the Great Weald. They would have to do a great deal of walking, though this would certainly get them closer. Seated on barrels, the three began to discuss what might await them, were they successful in locating the keep of the Krellian. Well, what do we know about them? Ness poised the question to her companions. Tales for wee ones, mostly, started Darshal. We all heard the same stories growing up. Her voice grew husky and low as she took on a dramatic air. Deep in the earth dwell the Krellion, an ancient race of folk who by some strange and masterful enchantment bonded their very souls with gold itself. And so, like gold, they shall never rust nor tarnish nor know the ravages of age or time. In their subterranean domain they dwell still, a race of golden immortals, keepers of vast and undreamed-of treasures. Narshal nodded, finding this description adequate, though Ness's eyes had doubled in size as the spirit of their adventure infused her with the crackling excitement. Narshal interjected, slightly concerned that Ness was going to erupt off the barrel on which she sat. I took the liberty of consulting a few old tomes, and found scant mention of the Krellian. What I did find bears mentioning, though. From the swathes of his cloak, he produced a leather-bound journal, and unwrapped the string. He let the volume fall open, pushed the wiry glasses up on his nose, and began to read. A passage from Dobius Scarlatti's Geomorphism of the Western Great Weald. He cleared his throat and began. Another interesting characteristic of the Goldvale region is the evidence suggesting the presence of ancient habitations in those deeper glacial valleys. While it is not uncommon to find such archaeological indications all throughout the Great Weald, it is of note that potsherds, jewelry, and other items that have been recovered from these regions contain an unusually high amount of gold. 
Additionally, a common motif appearing on these objects is golden figures, hearkening back to legends of the Krellion. Such evidence has been recovered from the deep substrate, so these items were certainly created in the far, far past. Could there be truth to the fanciful tales of the golden Krellion? Ness had drawn the map out from her bag, and indeed, it was near to the Goldvale region of the Great Weald that the markings indicated. Gazing at the rough map, she felt certain of its veracity, though whether this was due to an intuition she had, or simply her desire to believe, could not be said. She found herself wondering how the Queen of the Green Country came into the possession of such knowledge. Refocusing on her companions, she felt moved to share her own take on the mysterious Krellian. I may not have the book smarts of Narshal, but I've been thinking about all those rhymes I learned about the Krellian when I was a youngling. I can't be sure, but there may be a clue or two for us in those childhood rhymes. Narshal raised an eyebrow, his curiosity piqued. Ness continued. In valleys fastness, canyons deep, do ancient Krellian dwell in sleep. Through twisting caverns waits their boon, and gold will glitter with the moon. There was silence save for the clip-clop of horses' hooves and wagon wheels on gravel as the companions took pause to consider this. Gold will glitter with the moon. That sounds awfully specific, suggested Darshal. Exactly, exclaimed Ness. I'm not sure what it means, but perhaps the way to their keep cannot be found by day. Perhaps, interjected Narshal, ever the voice of reason. But that rhyme is old as dirt, and who knows how much it's changed over the years. It's not much to go on. Darshal shrugged her shoulders in slight agreement with her brother. Ness scowled, and they fell into a natural silence as the landscape passed them slowly by. It was after dark when the wagon reached the crossroads that marked their entry point into the Great Weald. Ness tossed the face-elf coachman a twinkling silver piece, and they unloaded their goods from his wagon. The man was middle-aged, with a streak of silver running the length of his hair, which came together in a neat braid. "'I've no doubt you lot are well acquainted with all sorts of perils,' he said, flicking a wooden match he had produced against his hat-brim and bringing its flame to the long pipe that protruded from below a wispy mustache. Ness nodded smugly, openly proud of his assessment. He puffed several times on the pipe, and a glowing ember grew in its bowl, casting a subtle light onto his face. There is a presence in these woods. He gestured to the forest stretching before them, the direction Ness and her companions would be heading. The folk in these parts say it is ever watchful, a guardian of the land. Perhaps it is some spirit of the lost house, but perhaps not. Be vigilant, adventuresque, especially at the dawning of morning's light. And with that, he rode onwards into the night, the sound of horses' hooves fading. Well, that was ominous, observed Ness cheerily. Let's make camp. And so they set up their camp for the night at the crossroads on the edge of the Great Weald. Looking at the map, Narshall had estimated they had roughly three days hiking into the wood to reach the location marked in Ness's letter. They ate a simple meal, took an inventory of their equipment, and turned in for the night. They set off early the next morning as the sun was breaking over the horizon. The day was cool and bright, and their travels were made easier after Darshal had discovered a small trail leading off into the bush. Ness checked her compass to ensure they were on course, and onward they marched. 
The first day progressed without incident. The adventurers were no strangers to the periods of toil and travel requisite for a successful treasure hunter. They walked without complaint, steadfast and observant of their surroundings. They treated this adventuresque business seriously. They were professionals. They made camp that night on the crest of a high hillock that rose above the sea of trees which rolled below. From this vantage they could see the contours of the land. The glaciers of an ancient age had cleaved deep valleys into the earth, forming ridges like the one on which they were presently camped. As the light of the day faded, these valleys were cast into shadow, and far in the distance Ness caught the sight of a valley that deepened into a dark canyon. At the edge of this gorge a small lake twinkled like a dewdrop, resplendent with the shimmer of the sunset. She held her compass aloft, automatically, and was unsurprised to find that their present course would lead them directly to it. She closed the lid of the brass compass, which hung from a cord around her neck, and gazed out across the scenery. Ness was one of the best face-sylf treasure hunters in Kazimo, though if she was aware of that fact, she gave it as much import as a piece of lint in her pocket. There was a time when the other adventuresque had called her a fool for following her dreams and intuitions into wild ventures, yet a history of successes had proved her methods were more than sound. She understood something so many other adventuresque did not. The world was not constructed of maps and measures, nor was it a reasonable place. Narshal and Darshal had long known of Ness's gifts, and spoke amongst themselves about them from time to time. Whether Ness understood her own capabilities did not matter. It was the love of the quest that was paramount to her. Spoils be damned, her infectious excitement and enthusiasm were the real reason Narshal and Darshal allied with her. She ate with a ravenous appetite that night over their campfire. Earlier in the day, Darshal had fired a lucky shot from her sling, taking down a fat, plumed grouse. Ness gnawed the last morsel of meat from the bone she held between her fingers. She ate with an intensity, as if she knew some future circumstance would require every ounce of strength in her body, and every bite she took served to buttress her vitality. They all slept well that night. The air was cool, but still held a measure of summer's sweetness. Though autumn was around the corner, its wintry tang had not yet overtaken those twilight hours. The embers of the campfire dwindled low and smoldered, and Ness curled tighter into a ball in her bedroll a bead of warmth and restfulness. The day dawned with a strange mist laying over the land. The sky had grown overcast in the night, and though it was bright, the clouds seemed to rob the lands around them of color. The words of their chauffeur hearkened back to them, and they broke camp with wary haste, fearful of some ill-dawn tiding. Yet no enemy appeared, no calamity befell them, and they resumed their trek well-rested. At midday, they entered a valley that was far deeper than they could have fathomed. They had crossed into a part of the weald where those scars in the land were vast and craggy. The friendly trail they had followed had all but disappeared, and they were left to circumnavigate this landscape of boulder, ridge, and precipice on their own caution and cunning. The going was slow and arduous. Their plan of reaching the lake Ness had spied by the setting of the sun was abandoned. Several times in their progression, they reached walls of stone too high to climb. These elevations were remnants of some ancient geographic upheaval. Ropes were thrown, sometimes countless times, until they caught a rock or branch high above. 
Then Ness would scale the untested cord with quick prowess and secure it so Narshal and Darshal could climb up after her. As they traveled more deeply into the great weald, the lands around them seemed to grow wilder. The trees grew taller too, being far from any road or trace of civilization that could have allowed them to be harvested for lumber. Here, there were more pines interspersed with the broad, leafy trees that populated the forest at their journey's start. They kept up their march until the dwindling sun withdrew its rays from the deep veil they found themselves in. In the quickly fading light, Ness checked her compass and confirmed that, though they had no high vantage from their present location, they were still headed in the right direction. Darshal produced a little glass lantern from her pack and whispered a few words to it. A cheery glow sparked to life and cast a soft light over their surroundings. The ground around them was smooth stone, and to their right, an irregular rocky slope beset with trees descended down into blackness. Above them hung a stand of tall pines. They began to set up their simple camp for the night and gather firewood, of which there was plenty. Soon a little fire roared, and over it simmered a traveler's stew. Dry ingredients reconstituted with water from their canteens. It was a modest meal, but after their day's toils it smelled like the finest feast. There was little conversation as they slurped their stew, and even after they had finished and sat reclining, satisfied and full, they were too spent for words. There was a twinge of coolness in the air, and it felt good to be near the little fire. The small boulders which littered the lands around them provided protection from the light breeze that blew. It took only moments for the adventurers to unfurl their sleeping mats and bed down for the night. Long before the moon had climbed into the clear night sky, they had all fallen sound asleep. The morning was cool and bright, and a breeze still blew, rousing and refreshing them into wakefulness. In the light of dawn, they could see more of their surroundings. They had made camp along the edge of a deep fault in the landscape that ran miles long ahead of them. The sloping, forested sides of the gorge terminated downwards into a dark precipice, a rift in the earth. Well rested, they began to break camp, when Narshal uttered an exclamation of surprise. "'Take a look at this!' he said, studying a piece of bedrock adjacent to where they had camped. Ness and Darshal hurried over and squatted down to get a closer view. Narshal traced his finger along a groove in the stone to a point where it bifurcated and spread into a beautiful, precisely carved floral motif. He shook his head in amazement. "'This is Darkanian schist, one of the hardest types of stone in the green country.' incredibly hard to carve. My brother, the scholar, replied Darshal good-naturedly. He ignored her and continued. And look closely here. Most of it has been worn away, but if you tilt your head, it catches the light. Ness was nearly horizontal now, examining the ornamental grooves with growing excitement. As she shifted her gaze, the rosy light of dawn caught and sparkled on something within the carved line. Gold! whispered Ness. I can't believe it. I can't believe they're real, muttered Narshal, smoothing an unruly tangle of hair back over his head. Gold! shouted Ness, leaping to her feet. She grabbed Darshal's shoulders and, looking straight into her face, shouted again. Gold! Darshal laughed and smiled. It was an amazing discovery. The sun broke over the horizon and dawn's light flooded over the land 
Deep in the valley below them, a sound echoed, quiet at first, a subtle intrusion on their mood of excitement and the beauty of the new day. But then it sounded again, louder, and the three of them paused, for its echoes promised something dire, though what they could not say. From that great shadowy cleft in the earth, the sound clapped forth once again. Was it the din of great boulders cracking against one another? Or perhaps it was a noise of two mountains sparring with each other. The joy of their discovery was overcome by a sudden and serious need to take action. Ness spoke, her calm voice bringing direction and clarity to the moment. Run for the trees, something is coming. End of part one. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!